Media Freedom in a Changing World, a podcast produced by the Center for International Media Law and Policy Studies in the Media School at Indiana University, Bloomington. My name is Anthony Fargo, and I am the director of the Center for International Media Law and Policy Studies at Indiana University's Media School. I will be hosting this episode of Media Freedom in a Changing World. Our guest today is uh, Tamta Muradashvili, who is a director at the Matavari Channel uh, in uh, the Republic of Georgia and a lecturer at the Georgian Institute of Public Affairs, where she teaches media law, among other things. She is also a Fulbright Scholar this semester at the Media School at Indiana University, primarily uh, studying more about American media law and uh, hoping that that will help her with uh, her teaching and uh, other work in Georgia when she returns. We're going to talk a little bit today about a concept known as media capture. Normally, when we think about uh, threats to freedom of expression, we think of the more overt types of threats, the jailing of journalists, for example, or in some cases, the killing of journalists. But there are much subtler ways in which media can sometimes be controlled by particularly governments that are on the face, democratic, but are actually taking on more authoritarian or autocratic characteristics. I wanted to ask you a little bit about what's happened in uh, Georgia in the last 10 years or so. Uh, a little brief history. Uh, Georgia, of course, was formerly a, a Soviet Socialist Republic. Uh, at the, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, it became more of an independent country, but there was a considerable amount of uh, growing pains, I think it would be nice to say, uh, until there was a, uh, a nonviolent revolution in 2003, uh, during which time a, a more pro-Western, pro-NATO government uh, came to power. And that lasted really till about 2012, when a more pro-Russian uh, government uh, came to power through normal elections. Uh, but by spreading a lot of fear, I think, about what was going to happen with, uh, with uh, Mr. Putin. Since then, how has the, the media atmosphere, the media environment, really changed in Georgia? Well, um, yes, as you have mentioned, um, media capture is related to declining democracy and rising authoritarianism. And um, today's modern autocrats have become very sophisticated in their techniques and instruments. Uh, while as they want to stay in power longer than the law allows or longer than can that you know they can stay via fair and transparent elections, the first thing they always do is to attack media. And the media capture, as you have mentioned, it's not only about arresting journalists. The um, techniques are uh, verified. The instruments are verified. One of them, for example, is uh, media ownership and media concentration. This is one of the most popular methods to influence uh, society uh, with the ultimate goal to stay in power. Now, journalists and generally media professionals are very diverse. They serve the good values. And it's always hard to control individual journalists. 
So that's why changing media ownership is the fastest and most effective way for them to influence the narratives. And changing ownership means of media channel means changing editorial policy of the channel. So that's why, or, or the newspaper, any media outlet. So that's why it's one of the most popular uh, ways to influence media environment. This is what um, the current shadow ruler of Georgia, oligarch Bidzina Ivanishvili, has done. Once he came to power in 2012, the first thing that he did, he attacked my channel. Uh, and um, since then, we have been experiencing multiple types of oppression, not only changing uh, ownership of media channel, but also other instruments that are also characteristic to media capture. These instruments are like arresting, for example, criminalization of journalists, other legal instruments like making uh, amendments in the law or making new laws that oppress media. Uh, economical pressure is one of the most effective ways influencing businesses to stop advertising on critical channels uh, or um, some tax leverages, uh, multiple ways that they are implementing uh, on media, media capture, specifically about Georgia. The current status quo of media landscape is that the majority of media uh, entities in Georgia are pro-government and they serve just only pro-government narratives and unfortunately pro-Russian propaganda. Uh, and most of uh, the highest ranking uh, TV channel is pro-government channel. They are... Mm, the number one in, in, in the country because of the enormous financial and infrastructural possibilities that they have because government supports them. And they are able to uh, purchase, purchase licensed, expensive licensed formats and entertaining shows and inter entertainment entertaining content generates a lot of viewers. Uh, my channel, Tavari Channel in Georgia, is the most... Um, popular government critical TV channel. We rank as number two in the country. So Georgian media landscape is heavily concentrated by pro-government media and they have basically one owner. Basically, in a sense, it's not like formally belongs to the oligarch, but their proxies, their representatives are in its channel. Um, oligarch himself had two TV channels. When first, when he came to power, he had his son had entertain uh, one TV channel, and uh, mostly entertaining. Now they don't have uh, um, news or political talk shows now. And he also had another TV channel. And when he came to power. He didn't need it anymore. He shut down those channels and then he appointed the CEO of his channel as the head of the media regulator. And now he, the uh, the oligarch's media guy, so to speak, controls the whole media. So um, just only few critical channels are left in Georgia and among those few, either three or four or maybe max five, uh, our my channel is the most influential and uh, popular TV channel. Now, you may ask if it's uh, media capture, if it's dictatorship, for example. It's not dictatorship yet. It's, it's authoritarianism. But you have to understand that they are really strategic about it. Those critical channels, when you are influential like us, you are attacked and you are oppressed. And we are. We've been struggling for 11 years now. But those other small critical channels, they continue to leave and to broadcast and to report. They don't have as much 
problems as we do. Now, the reason for that is that authoritarians, when we say they become more sophisticated and they're more strategic, is that they need those some small critical channels as well. It's strategic for them to have it, to say that, you know, there are critical TV channels in the country. However, it's okay for them to have those small critical TV channels because they don't make any influence. They cannot influence on the narratives and they cannot, um, they don't have, they're small, their scope is small, They their reach is not to the whole Georgian territory. So they are very strategic about that. They know who to attack and who not. And well, a political um, transparency of the ownership has become, um, in Georgia, we have laws that make media ownership transparent um, at a very high level. Uh, for example, for example, you media uh, media cannot have an owner who's a legal entity, for example, who is registered in offshore zones. Okay, because it's hard to reach, hard to identify who are the people, individuals behind those companies behind, uh, in offshore zones. So Georgian legislation, legislation provides that transparency. Georgian legislation also says that government officials cannot be the owners. However, when pro-government channel needed to change that, uh, Georgian national reg media regulatory body interpreted the law in different way. So there's always this bias whenever pro government channel want to do something, even if law says something opposite, um, the government always interprets it in benefit of pro-government channel. Uh, so that's the, the, the point is that uh, even the legislation might be very good and the laws may be pro-transparent and um, pro-media transparency, but uh, it's about the political will, how it's implemented, along other things. When we talk about uh, you know governmental control, indirect or direct of of the channels of communication, what does that look like exactly? What kind of effect does that have on the news and information that people are getting? Well, um, like for example, now um, government. Um Pro, the ruling party and government officials are boycotting our channel. They refuse to come to our TV shows and studios. They, are, they don't want to be asked crit critical questions. While when you are in public service, you have to have expectation, you know, to be asked critical questions. So the only way we can get their comments is in public public areas when they show up along with other TV channels. Um, the methods they are influencing is that they're attacking, verbally attacking, and physically attacking journalists. Uh, they're assaulting um, journalists. This is to intimidate them. This is for journalists to reserve themselves, to have self-censorship, maybe try to avoid uh, asking critical questions or just generally avoiding to approach them. So these at some at some point has been effective and we need to, we, we add management of our channel has to work on that as well to work with journalists um, because journalists are also, you know, humans uh, and that's that's very um, that's very hard for them you know you go you go with your pure heart to do your job and you get systematically attacked and insulted also in front of your other colleagues and you see those other uh, pro-government TV channel journalists have absolutely no problem but they're favored so that doesn't create very pro-journalistic professional environment um, that's one thing well other type of oppression 
oppression, like including financial oppression, that also affects us because of the low income, because we cannot pay salaries and on time, and uh, because of um, uh, legal problems that we had. This is this always creates stressful environment in, in the channel in our working environment. So that very much affects us. All you know, journalists want to do is to do their job, you know, get the microphone, get the camera, go to the field, report. They should not be occupied with the problems like legal problems of media and or financial problems of media. But these are the problems that the government has kept us busy with. And that's also their goal to you know to to uh, for you to struggle daily for your self sur self survival instead of focusing on big other things. So at some point, I think they have been successful occupying us with just only for you know fight for our life for our media. Well, we have been. Um, fighting back <laughs> so to speak because we understand especially in you know authoritarianism uh, authoritarian countries uh, we understand our role not only as um, you know media that is very important for democracy but we also have to be an example for other countries sorry for other media and for other people as well because in oligarchy countries the financial resources are so enormous the oligarchy is so rich um, like a lot of people, most mostly everyone is compromised in some ways, uh, threatened or bribed or etc. So it's really important to be an exemplary and to show to people that there there are people like us in our team that we keep going and keep fighting and we're not giving up. And another very brutal uh, instrument uh, that they are deploying as media capture is surveillance. Surveillance is something that Georgian government has been very actively using. Well, these tools that I have been just naming, media ownership, economical pressure, surveillance, violence, and attacks, these are not something that Georgian government has invented. Well, some are probably are the techniques they are you know, adopting to our reality, but this is the problem that has been going on in other countries as well, especially in Eastern Europe. And I see the signs and some signs in, in America as well. <laughs> I wanted to uh, kind of go back to uh, some of the more overt examples of oppression you know, that you've run into. Uh, I know that you uh, personally, uh, while accompanying a journalist from your, your channel, actually uh, escaped a physical attack at one time. And I don't want to make you, you know, relive the trauma of that. But uh, you've also, uh, the general director of your channel has been arrested uh, at least once, right? Yes. Uh, what what led to that? Was there any specific uh, reporting that kind of led to that, or was that just part of a more general campaign of trying to intimidate you? Yeah, this this was part of the general campaign. Uh, as uh, yeah, the general director and the founder and journalist of our TV channel was arrested last year, and for one year I have been you know with his, along with his wife advocating for his release. He got released uh, in June this year, um, and I was also yes attacked uh, with uh, when I was in my car with my journalist. We just left our office and government, pro government 
group and organized mob attacked us, attacked my car. They surrounded my car so that I couldn't move. And they wanted to drag us out from the car. Luckily, I have a habit that once I get in the car, I immediately lock the door. So the door was locked. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I called the police and there, were a lot, there was a lot going on. We survived. We were close to our office. Um, I think that was very helpful for, for us to survive because our our employees also went out and they also helped us to get them back to the office. Um, but that was the journalist was primary target because he was very pro-Western, critical to government. And the reason why these uh, attackers, these violent people, uh, dare to, such, uh, to openly attack journalists and other media professionals is that they are encouraged to do that. These guys who attacked us, they were not punished. And and that was just one case. We had other cases well, other cases like in 2021, um, like about 53 journalists were attacked uh, during Tbilisi Pride. Uh, and um, LGBTQ community know that their voices are heard in media channels like us because we support them. Uh, and uh, when they were planning to have a pride in Tbilisi, those government-organized groups attacked media, attacked journalists, not actually the LGBT community members, uh, but the media, and one cameraman died. Uh, so it was a terrible day, a tragic day, tragic day for Georgian media. But on that day in the morning, Prime Minister of Georgia encouraged uh, those aggressive groups to do that. He said that, you know, it's, he doesn't feel that Tbilisi pride, like having Tbilisi pride in the streets of Tbilisi, Tbilisi is the capital of Georgia, is convenient and that we should also protect majority rights. So in name of protecting majority rights, um, those aggressive groups came out in the street and attacked media. So it was like a, a demonstration of punishing Georgian media who are vocal about society's problems, about minorities' problems, and who are the platform for those kind of for people to you know to speak about their problems and make their voices heard. So um, these were just some of the occasions. Um, like other journalists of other TV channels have been also attacked uh, when they were with their families, with their with their kids. So. Journalism in Georgia has not become is has not become you know as a safe profession, and unfortunately, I think it's actually reflected in academia as well. Less people want to get uh, degrees in journalism, uh, and this is of course intentional. This is intentional. Mm. So, unfortunately, it's not. Uh, Besides physical safety, it's also psychologically a very stressful work. So creating this environment deprives people with the desire, you know, to, to go and pursue this noble profession. You kind of alluded to this earlier that uh, this isn't just a Georgian problem, that it's also a problem elsewhere in, in Eastern Europe. Is there any cross-communication between journalists in, in the various countries where You've run into the problems with overt oppression or media capture and 
Have you been able to organize any sort of resistance to that, maybe on a, on a regional basis? Um, you mean with other media organizations? In, um, in other countries? Um, not really. We are more um, um, organizing our network and support with media defense organizations. Um, yeah, well, we're more sympathetic now at this point because we're going through this similar uh, problem. The country is generally with Ukrainian media. Sometimes we do have cooperation um, projects or sometimes when we get this, you know, interesting information that is relevant to Ukraine, we, of course, share this information with them. But as for the problems that uh, are related to media capture, we have not had any specific uh, um, any specific cooperation with uh, other media. Uh, but we are closely working with international advocacy and human rights and media defense organizations, well, especially last year because of the arrest of our general director, um, but uh, based on the news that I've been, you know, reading and hearing in other countries as well, it's um, uh, the in generally the the problems regarding media are kind of similar, and it's you you can also think that these leaders are kind of copy-pasting methods from each other, kind of learning from each other. And as uh, some of the you know, instruments against media are effective, it's, uh, it, there are more chance that these instruments against media are duplicated in other countries as well. You uh, were one of the people responsible for a, a rather uh, significant landmark uh, decision from the European Court of Human Rights uh, based on all of this. Could you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Well, that was in 2017. Uh, I use now I work in Tavari channel, but I used to work in other TV channel. Our whole our team we used to work in other TV channel. It, it was called Rostavi Two, and this is actually that really refers to today's topic media capture. When in 2012, when the oligarch came to power, he uh, applied all you know all types of oppressive methods against us, and when he, none of them worked out, and when we resisted, he decided to change the ownership of media because I think that was the easiest way once um, he would change the ownership now editorial policy of our channel would be changed um, now in and he found like really old owner back in like 15 years ago who suddenly decided to claim that his shares when he sold he didn't actually sold sold the shares but he was forced coerced to give up so the ownership legal saga started uh, and, um, of course, our Georgian judiciary is corrupted and judiciaries are actually sanctioned by U.S. government. So, of course, we didn't have any hope that we would win in court. And all three instances of Georgian courts said that our TV channel belonged to the old previous owner who was oligarch's proxy representative. So um, then I had a sudden idea in one night, that night when uh, Supreme Court published on their website that, you know, the, our legal saga was finalist in favor of pro-oligarch pro um, men. Uh, I had an idea to apply to European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg uh, with an uh, interim measure. This is a legal instrument, interim measure. 
measure, like a temporary measure. You ask the court for certain um, certain measure to apply before you actually file the application to the court. And interim measure is used in European Court of Human Rights in very, very rare cases. It is a very exclusive measure, and there it's used only in cases of life and health. Um, and uh, even in many life and health cases, court doesn't apply interim measure. So I had an idea to apply to court and ask them to apply for the protection of freedom of speech and expression in Georgia. And um, we succeeded in one night. We did that. That was really miraculous. Uh, we didn't expect it. And that was the first time when European Court of Human Rights used interim measure for the protection uh, of free speech. Uh, and uh, for because of this interim measure, we so our we saved our editorial independence for about two years, maybe two and a half years. Uh, well, later, eventually, Georgian government managed to take over the ownership. But the good thing is that this interim measure that was the first precedent uh, was later then applied to safeguard Ukrainian journalists' right in 2018, and then last year in 2022. Uh, to protect Russian journalist rights against Putin's regime. So we can say that Georgian, ma Georgian media made a new precedent, made a new legal protection mechanism at the European Court of Human Rights. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is something that uh, I'm really proud of. You should be. <laughs> the, um, unfortunately, it didn't stick i guess you could say but uh <laughs> but it was good to get that two years at least that you yes yeah, yes you were able to maintain independence so. um i wanted to ask you a little bit about your experiences here in the united states uh, you're you're here as a fulbright scholar and studying basically american freedom of expression laws uh, hoping to kind of bring back some of those lessons to uh to georgia uh what have you learned about american uh free speech law that you that you hope to be able to you know talk about more when you get back uh, to Georgia. Yes, I'm here as a Fulbright faculty development program. So as you have mentioned in the introduction, I teach media law in Georgia. The reason why I applied to Fulbright actually and why I wanted to come here was that Georgian law on freedom of speech and expression is actually based on First Amendment model. That was um, based the law that was adopted uh, after the Rose Revolution when pro-Western government came. They used the First Amendment as a model to have Georgian law. And but unfortunately, legal community and the judges or lawyers, I would say myself included sometimes, don't use the U.S. case law. That is partially because we are part of European of the Convention of European and uh, of Human Rights and Freedoms because we are, you know, we can address your European Court of Human Rights. And we basically use the. Uh, European Court of Human Rights case law and because the class I teach in Georgia also have they are students not only from Georgia but from Armenia Azerbaijan sometimes from other European countries and all these countries are the jurisdiction of European Court of Human Rights so my preferences was during all these years since 2017 when I started teaching to have the case law of European Court of Human Rights 
as those students would then be able to use that this case law, you know, in their practice if they needed to defend their work whenever they had if they had problems, legal problems. But um, uh, since over the years, year when media freedom index, you know, went down and situation got deteriorated, I I had thought that we need more. U.S. case law and more American standards for the protection of free speech because that has higher protection. So uh, my goal is to incorporate U.S. case law in my teaching materials when I go back to Georgia very soon now. So what I've learned here is actually what I knew that, uh, you know, uh, America has higher protection, higher degree of protection of uh, free speech and this this I would like to you know encourage um, not only my students to use that but uh, legal uh, community as well like I used to be the chairwoman of media law in Georgian bar and I would like to then continue and you know sharing my knowledge not only with my students but to with with Georgian lawyers as well so that they can also use this case law and to bring this culture of using American case law in Georgia reality because our legislation is based on First Amendment model. You kind of mentioned earlier, though, that uh, also that this doesn't mean that American media are perfect in any way and, and or that or our legal protections aren't perfect either. What what I guess uh, warnings or, or uh, observations would you have for uh, people like me who teach media law in the American uh, atmosphere? I think that what I've observed in American, um, not law, but generally in environment, is that what I didn't like was that uh, this kind of trend of demonizing media and demonizing journalists is something really scary. This is where it all starts. And yes, I have seen how American authorities called uh, journalists um, or me media fake news or sometimes insulted journalists. This trend is very bad. This is that I think we all need to work on. And uh, what I would also try to, I don't know if I would say, uh, what I think I also need to do, not only teach media law in Georgia, but also teach about the general problems, what, what students uh, need to know when they step into the real world. So what I would probably... Um, I don't know, like maybe recommend or maybe uh, willing to share with you would be that these global trends, global threats in media are relevant not only for American journalists, but, but for uh, other countries as well. And likewise, our problems can be re relevant for American journalists and for American future journalists as well. So what I would say is that it's very good to uh, share this knowledge and share this experience with each other. And especially this media capture topic, this is so such a big topic uh, and very problematic that we see that this is now applicable not only to uh, authoritarian countries, but to uh, democratic countries as well. 
to democratic countries like America, where it's, it's considered the cradle of democracy, it's 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 clear that even in countries like this, there might be problems, right? So um, I think sharing this uh, and informing uh, future journalists and students about these global problems would be very beneficial. Uh, and you know, there are those American journalists, and you know, can go and will be reporting from other countries. So it's good to learn about the general environment worldwide. Yeah, I know that the some of the rhetoric that uh, refers to journalists as enemies of the people, for example, yes. was something that, you know, we've, we've heard quite a bit here. Uh, and one of the disturbing aspects of that has been hearing it echoed by autocratic leaders in other countries. And so uh, I think we sometimes uh, take for granted the American exceptionalism idea that, that America has a particularly strong tradition of protecting freedom of the press and freedom of speech, um, even if we don't always live up to you know, what the responsibilities maybe that come with that. Well, what I would hear, like, interfere uh, under your permission is that even if uh, American leaders um, do not properly treat media or journalists, you have institutions here. You have the court. Uh, you you have those other mechanisms, other institutions that will protect free speech. This is not the case in Georgia. Our court is sanctioned by U.S. government. That is why you are America is a strong country, and this is why we should learn from America. Um, this is something that you should be proud of when you are a good, you know, stable democratic country. You do have institutions, and democracy is based on institutions. Any country can have uh, leaders who don't like media uh, or who don't like critical questions. Any country can have it. Any government can have that. But that is the good thing about America, the institutions that has been built and are so firmly fixed in democracy. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed your time in the United States and, uh, and enjoy the rest of the time that you have here before you, uh, you return to Georgia. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, this is my second time in the United States as a, uh, through exchange program. So I do appreciate the possibilities that this country is giving to international students and international scholars. And I'm greatly appreciative to IU specifically. I think uh, I'm very lucky to be here. I'm very lucky and thankful to US government for placing me specifically in this university. We're, we're lucky also to be able to, uh, <laughs> to gain your perspectives. This has been Media Freedom in a Changing World. Thank you.